Good morning. You know, it is such a distinct privilege to be here and to be up front. But you know, after the time like this morning, it's quite overwhelming. However, it is so such that I will be speaking on the joy of the Lord today. Um, you know, Clayton asked me about this a while back, but now the time has come. And it's a subject very dear to my heart. It's a very personal subject, and I know some of you have heard of bits of this, so please just forgive me. But um, it is a, a subject, I think, in this season of life in the world we really need. We know the Lord says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that is so true to the very depth of our being, it is a truth. And it is from that place of that deep joy in God, no matter what's going on in the world and our families and our own lives, you can draw that strength from Jesus and it's always there, always. So I just wanna talk about that. Um, I wanted to share a bit about my testimony. I know some of you have heard this, but I also know that there's many that haven't. And it's really relevant to the subject. My parents were basically seekers of truth and the enemy came his way and got them involved in the wrong thing. So I was raised in a cult that had incredibly occultic roots. However, I had one praying grandmother. For you people out there, that those who aren't saved yet, one praying grandmother. Today, I wanna tell you today, my husband's in ministry, my son's in ministry, my daughter's on the intercession team, my brother's in ministry, um, his other son used to lead worship, and I can go on and on and on. Every person in the family, bar one that I'm not sure of, is saved. Everyone, cousins, everybody. They're all saved. One praying grandmother. Never give up, people, never. God is good. So, but my parents really did seek truth. Before they went to be with the Lord full time, both of them for many years had been radically on fire for God. He saw their heart. So well, the enemy came this way, it's not a problem. Because God uses everything, and I'll touch on that a little later. So because of that, while we were in that cult, my, um, my mom used to also explore some other things. And so the one night we went to a Ramakrishna meeting when I was about 10, and the center was closed. I've never known it to be closed before or after. But that night it was closed, God. So the group that we went with, we went back to their house, and um, it was some man's house, and there he had the incense and the, um, all the rest of it, you know, all, and everybody was gonna meditate there. Now the cult we were in, you had to be initiated to get the mantra. This is like a transcendental thing, which is totally not right, okay? Just for those, if you don't know transcendental meditation, it doesn't do you any good. It's the wrong kingdom. Okay. And I did not have a mantra. So I said to this man, I said to him, I don't yet have a mantra. And he got irritated, but he went, he went back and he came back and he gave me a rosary. <laughs> let's, just, let's look at this. This is God. God is so much bigger than all the mistakes we make, Okay. And he took this rosary and he, he paused and he said, just say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me with each bead. <laughs> that night in a Hare Krishna meeting where people were chanting on the name of demons, I was born again. <laughs> God is that powerful. I did not know I was born again. 
but I met Jesus. The joy of the Lord filled me so intensely, hence my testimony, it's so connected, that I was so overwhelmed, I had to physically force myself not to burst out in laughter because I would have been in serious trouble. But it literally, I had to do everything in my power to hold back the joy of the Lord. I went home that night and I said, Jesus, and I knew it was Jesus because I'd been calling on the name of Jesus. I said, Jesus, if this is real, give me a dream. That night and the next night, he gave me two vivid dreams that I will never forget. Same dream, over twice. And the dream was, Jesus had taken me by my hand and we were walking around on an island. And he just smiled at me. And I looked at the mainland and he smiled and we walked around on the island. And that was it. I did not know I was a Christian. If you had said to me, are you a Christian? I would have said no, because to me a Christian was somebody who attended church and I didn't attend church, but I was. I was totally radically saved. And I had this incredible relationship with Jesus. I just didn't go to church. I spoke to him all the time. He spoke to me often. I just had this relationship. But you see, he took care of me. You know, so, th so many things that people are tempted with when they're young, I wasn't. It wasn't like I was so super strong. In our day, cigarette smoking was really big and all the young people did that. Nobody ever offered me one cigarette, not once in my entire life. It was like God said, I've got your hand, it's not coming your way. He totally protected me. See, that's what he does. I didn't know more, but he is faithful. Anyway, um, after a few years, Ken and I were married and everything like that, and um, when we had Chantal, our oldest daughter, we felt that this cult was too controlling. After six weeks, you had to stop feeding the kid and get back to every duty. So we left. And in that, we had been told the church is really shallow and um, very meaningless. But we decided to have Chantal christened because it was the thing you do. Okay, it's, I didn't have any understanding of it, but it was just something culturally you do. We went to a church and the man there said to us, the pastor, he said to me, you've, you've got a vow to raise your child, a Christian. And I looked at this lot and I thought to myself, how do I do this? So I went home and I processed and I said, okay, Jesus, if this is you and if church is your idea, I will take Chantal to church when she's three. You wonder why she's three, she's three. My husband was an avid sportsman. There's no ways he would have got to church. I didn't have a car. I couldn't get her there, okay? So it was not even a possibility. But when she was three, I'd said to the Lord, when she was three, I would start going to church. Along the way, um, Ken got offered a different job and we moved on to a different province. I had to go ahead and look for a house. So I went and every house I looked at, I made sure it was near a church. It could have been anything. It could have been Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, anything. What did I know? And I found this little church, like four houses down the road, like about four houses away from where we lived. It was a United Congregational Presbyterian Church. The pastor was a radical, spiritful man. The man that ended up opening the door for us to go into full-time ministry. Now, as the Bible says, God uses everything for the good that them that believe. And because of the cult and all of that, we attended, I attended at least five times a week. That was like standard. 
So now I started going to church. So about the second week, the first week was Pentecost. I mustn't forget this. This first week was Pentecost Sunday. So I went forward. And I responded to that altar call. Not knowing I was completely born again already. I went home and that night, Jesus reminded me of my dream. And he said to me, today, you're on the mainland. And I knew that going to the church meant was I was on the mainland. And so that's always very meaningful to me. And for me, because of that, I've got such a passion for church and for God's people and for the unity and for working together. It's a deep thing in me. Um, but anyway, so where am I? I'm like, where? So I went to the pastor's wife and I said to her, okay, so um, how can I help a church? You know, five times. One is attending the service, but now I've got four more to do. This is like what you've got to do. So she said, well, you can help with some, you know, care for the babies. I said, okay, I'll do that. I said, what else? She said, you can make tea sometimes. I said, fine, what else? She said, there's a ladies group. I said, okay, what else? She looked at me, she said, nothing at this point. <laughs> I was horrified. I mean, it's like I have to have five. Soon after that, I became friends with one of the ladies whose husband and her, they did the youth, but there was a problem in their marriage and they had to give it up. So I went to Ken, That's, he often says, and I went to him and I said, why don't we take the youth? Because you see, that was the fifth one. I needed five. <laughs> God uses that. Because we were so involved in the church, and it's not about being legalistic, although I was, but that's not about that. <laughs> But God used that to ground us in the things of God quickly. It consumed our lives. We had to prepare for youth. We had to do this. I was involved in ladies' meeting and tea and taking after babies and going to church. It was really powerful. So because of our involvement, God used that amazingly. It was because of that church that eventually we ended up taking the youth. And it was, it was just an incredible time, and I know Ken shared much of that, and I'm not gonna go there, but over the next few years, once we were in full-time ministry and all the rest of it, we started getting some prophetic words, and God started moving powerfully in our lives. Well, Ken got all these amazing words about moving in power. I got words from really incredible prophetic people saying, the Lord has, Lord has changed your name to joy. First word. Second word, the Lord has changed your name to joy. Second word. Third word, the Lord has changed your name to joy. And I'm thinking, you know, Ken's getting the signs and wonders, and I, I, I'm happy to be happy, but, you know, I wouldn't mind a bit more than just that. Little did I know. But, such is that. And one day, we get a word from Kerry Southey, who we've mentioned before, very prophetic lady who's with the Lord now. And in the midst of this long word she gives us, she turns to me and says to me, God's gonna increase your capacity for pain. How many of you wanna get a word like that? <laughs> Raise your hands, nobody does. I'm thinking, I didn't hear the rest of the word. I'm thinking, oh my word, <laughs> this is not what I really wanted to hear. But in that, I realized the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that was the season. God took us through a season. We had been through many seasons, but God took us through a season where he was about to teach me about the joy of the Lord being my strength. 
Remember Ken spoke about brokenness two weeks ago? I think it was two weeks ago. Okay, it's connected. It's actually connected. In that brokenness, you can find a deeper joy. You can go much deeper. That season really helped me. God uh, gave me a book to read. Um, he literally led me to it called The Joy of the Lord by Charles Spurgeon, The Fullness of Joy by Charles Spurgeon. And that changed me. It really, really helped me. It strengthened me in many ways. And I want to say we all go through hard times. We've all been through tough seasons, some harder than others. But every season we go through that's hard, it can look differently. Ken dealt differently if we, if we went through a tough season together. It impacted him differently to how it impacted us. Don't compare your seasons. Don't think I've had it worse than you. You probably have. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't. In God, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It doesn't matter what your season is like and how tough it is. I'm not minimizing it. I'm not doing that. But God and his joy is stronger than that season. Okay, I just want to give you a few, um, a few things that I put in my journal over the years. Just a, a couple of sayings that God has given me over the time. The place, the, the place of joy only you can bring, Lord where who we are at the deepest level meets your presence, thank you. Where our sin meets your grace at the cross, there is joy. Where guilt and shame are washed away, there is joy. Where you give us purpose and identity, a calling, deep calls to deep, there is joy. When we see some fruit, that deep satisfaction that comes from knowing we did what you purposed us to do. In that moment, it brings us joy. Where purity is chosen over worldly ways, there is joy. Where the supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding prevails, there is joy. Where we fail, but you are faithful, there is joy in your grace. Where in our weakness, you are strong, there is joy. Surely, where the joy of the Lord is, is my strength. So let us look at joy. There are so many verses about joy, um, but the one that I want to go touch is the, um, the Nehemiah 8.10, just the second part. It says, for the Lord, joy of the Lord is your strength. So what's the difference between joy and happiness? I mean, happiness is nice, but happiness is circumstantial. You know, it's fickle. Um, you can be happy one moment and sad the next. Get a gift, you might feel happy. The next day somebody shouts at you, you feel sad or angry or whatever. It's not constant, but joy is. We have in Christ the joy of the Lord. Every one of us who is saved and born again has the joy of the Lord within us, but we need to learn to appropriate it like things in the kingdom. It does not mean we don't feel pain, sorrow, grief, and all those things. It does not mean all those emotions disappear but that deep joy that comes from the Lord that undergirds our emotions, we can access at any time. I want to read a quote from Tony Reinke. Okay. The original Hebrew, Hebrew for joy in Nehemiah 8.10 is shevda, meaning the joy of gladness. The root word for joy in this context means to rejoice or to make glad 
Strength is the same verse in Hebrew, meaning a place or means of safety, protection, refuge, or strongholds. The root word of strength means to be strong, prevail, to make firm, strengthen. The joy of the Lord is a constant gladness and cause to rejoice. It stems from an inner strengthening from our relationship with him. When Jesus died for us, he restored us to a peace with God that cannot be undone. Your joy rests on God's joy. It's not founded in me. It rests on God's joy. Therefore, it is sure. That's the difference. Now, for instance, if you go outside, say you go outside on a really cold day, and you, you haven't got jackets and everything, you'll really feel the cold. The minute you get your jackets and whatever you've got, and blankets and everything, you'll be outside, but you don't feel the cold. It's like that. The joy of the Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on around, you have access to the joy of the Lord. There are many examples in the Bible of um, the joy of the Lord, and I want to, I'm not gonna touch on too many of them, but we just look at Paul, for example. You know all he went through. I mean, Ken touched on that two weeks ago. It's just like the man really didn't have an easy time. But yet we hear of stories of him praising Jesus in the prison. You see, he knew how to access the joy of the Lord. So circumstances are secondary to the joy of the Lord. And I know that's a hard thing to say because some people really have tough circumstances. But the joy of the Lord is firm. Joy is a wonderful aspect of the kingdom of God that we have within our DNA as children, I believe. I'm really children of God. Not only were joy, joyful because Jesus came, but he brought joy to the earth. And as we receive Jesus, we receive this joy. Joy is a choice. It's like everything in the kingdom. You choose to to dig into that place of joy that Jesus has given us. We don't have to walk in it, but we can choose to. It's not based on circumstances, I said. It's not, based, it's not a bubbly person. It's not the lack of seriousness. It's not avoidance of our circumstances, but it is the strength of the Lord. In this kingdom life, no matter what we are walking through, it's, it's there. It's not void of mourning, but it is the strength we draw from. Joy brings back our dreams in life. So often when we lose our joy, we lose our dreams. We think it's too far off. But when we get back to that joy of the Lord, those dreams flourish and they come back. It is such a gift. Joy turns our weeping into joy. I don't have time to go into Joy Roberts. I'm just gonna literally read out a list. It's not conclusive, but literally, if you're dealing with any of these Take it to the Lord, deal with it. We don't want the joy of the Lord to be robbed. Unforgiveness and bitterness, exhaustion, frustration, self-pity, focus on circumstances, focus on me. Victim mentality, my past, my failures. Ungratefulness, focus on failed expectations from others. It's so easy, you know, you expect your spouse to do something sometimes and they don't. It's just that little, little niggle. You know what? A little niggle and the joy has gone out the window. Don't let that happen. Say, Lord, what am I doing here? Get back to the joy of the Lord. Fear. Living in hurt. Shame. Guilt. To some of the things, those joy robbers. Don't, don't go there. What I do want to touch on is how we can develop the joy within. So let us look at some practical ways. 
while back when Ken preached, he mentioned the two doors for kingdom living, salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want to mention some doorways to joys. Let's look at Romans 14, 17 to 18. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Walking through some doors that facilitate us, facilitate the joy of the Lord. We can be intentional, it's not, I mean, it's one aspect of the kingdom, but it's a foundation, it's a strength. So the first door is we need faith to live the life of, of joy, okay? The first basis for faith, faith comes by? Hearing and hearing the word of God. So we need to know that, hearing the word of God. So you can, for that basis of joy, I'm gonna just give you four scriptures, but there are plenty. Google joy of the Lord in, the, in Google and you, will, you can meditate for the next year on these scriptures. So Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 847, you have filled my heart with greater, which means mega, joy. Psalm 198, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Nehemiah 810, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So that's, that's A, our faith to build uh, the faith, what we can stand, our faith comes by hearing. The second, is in addition to that, I want to give you yet another foundation for joy, another blessing which God has created us with. We have the word as our first, but we also have the very way God created us. For this I have to read, there's a book called um, Living from the Heart Jesus, uh, Living from the Heart Jesus Gave You. And in it, there's a whole lot, the author says too many, so I didn't give it, it's, it's a list, and I can't even read them. Anyway, this is what, what he says. Having enough joy strength, there's psychologists and all sorts in this particular group, and a lot of it's a bit of scientific and things like that. Having enough joy strength, it's fundamental to a person's well-being. We know that the joy center exists in the right orbital prefrontal cortex of the brain. It has executive control over the entire emotion system. This is the way God made us. When the joy center has been sufficiently developed, it regulates emotions, pain control, pain control, and immunity centers. It guides us to act like ourself. It releases neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin and is the only part of the brain, as far as I know, I don't, when this book was written, this is the science, that overrides the main drive centers, food and sexual impulses, terror and rage. Joy can override. Okay. Further on, they continue. While most of the brain stops growing at certain stages of development, the brain's joy center is the only section of the brain that never loses its capacity to grow. It is the one section of the brain that retains the ability to grow for our entire lives, which means joy strength can always be developed. So you take like this, these children that we gonna be supporting and the terrible lives they've lived, the joy center can always be developed. It's never too late. Okay. There is no matter what your past is like, we can develop joy from now where we're at. So we can see that God has given us 
the physical ability to tap into the joy center and grow it. We are actually hardwired by his design to walk in joy. So when you've got faith, you have faith in the word and faith in the way God's actually made us. He's actually designed us to be a people with joy. Okay, that was point one. Second one is Thanksgiving, which I touched on um, a while ago, so I'm not gonna go on to too much of that, but I just wanna say with Thanksgiving and gratitude, we need to confess it with our mouth. What comes out of our mouth, we speak, I speak Jesus, that song is so relevant. You know, when we're feeling upset and negative and all the rest of it, what comes out of our mouth? Where you speak is where you live. Where you look is where you live. Developed heart of gratitude in every circumstance, not necessarily for the circumstance, but what's God doing in it? Even if it's that tough time of brokenness, what's God doing in me? What's he stripping away? Pride, you know, it doesn't matter. What God's doing? Okay, look at that. It sounds simple, but observe what comes out of your mouth. We know um, the Bible says in Joshua 1.8, meditate with your mouth. What comes out of your mouth, okay. Then the next one I've also touched on is praise and worship, so I'm not going to go into that too much, but um, this is again a huge door. And I want to do, the thing that is really important with this is biblical joy is the result of a Christ-prioritized life. That's the key. Praise and worship helps us take us there, but biblical joy is a result of prioritized life. But when we praise and worship him, and as I say, I can't go over that because I did a little while ago, but it is such a powerful weapon. You physically get up and praise the Lord, if, no matter where you're feeling. If you're feeling really rotten, get up and put on praise music and praise him with dance and praise him with your mouth. And get up and praise. Physically, you can't do it, tap your foot, it's fine. But physically get involved. Praise the Lord. That praise will slowly lift the cloud of heaviness over you. Go and praise for the spirit of heaviness. There's a little sidetrack, I know this. I'm, this. I find in America and all third world countries, psycholo they're psychologized. You think through psychology. Hmm? First world, first world, yeah. So, um, for example, when somebody dies, you've got the four phases of grief. You've got the four phases of grief. The first one is, I think, denial, and then this, and then that, and then this. I don't know, these four phases, okay. You know, God doesn't have to take us that way. He doesn't have to. God is above psychology. Yes, psychology can help understand the mind. But what does the word say? The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It's actually very clear to me. It's not gray. That is our answer. And I love that I read this little story of the internet, which I really love. Um, Jamie was trying out for a part in the school play. His mother told me that he had set his heart on being in it, though she feared he would not be chosen. One day, on the day the parts were awarded, I went with her to collect him after school. Jamie rushed up to her, eyes shining with pride and excitement. Guess what, Mom, he shouted, and then the words that will remain with me forever. I've been chosen to clap and cheer. <laughs> I love that. You see, it's where we look. So he might have been disappointed, but he was chosen to clap and cheer. 
sometimes we've chosen to clap and cheer. <laughs> Let's do it well. Yeah. Number four is practice the presence of God and make him our highest joy. I just read another quote. I don't know where I get these quotes from. We cannot make the joy of the Lord our strength if we're also making something else our strength. Let us practice being in his presence and rejoicing in him. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God's strength of my heart and my portion, for, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, in his presence, we get to know this deeply. Remember Romans 14, righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. In Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. In him and only in him do we live this life of joy. So we need to practice being in him. The fifth point is reach out to others. Now, when we were in Pinetown, um, the little church that was across the street, and the season came for us to move into full-time ministry, on the one hand, we were very excited. On the other hand, I was absolutely brokenhearted. I loved that youth group. We had had a youth group, which um, the church had about 80 people. The youth group was about 120. And God was just that good. And along the way, Ken had got saved, and these youth were on fire for God. I mean, he wasn't saved in the beginning, but anyway, God, God uses anything and everything. He really does. And it broke my heart that we were leaving these youth. But we had been through all the goodbyes and everything, and I was raw inside. I just had nothing left in me. I felt so raw. My family, was, I was moving away from my family, and I'm very close to family. I was moving away from my family, I was moving away from the youth that I loved, and I just like, it was so hard. I knew it was right, but it, it literally cut me to the core. And it was just a couple of days before we were leaving, and I said to Ken, I don't think I can see another person. I think I just burst into tears if I see anybody. And this young guy knocked at the door, and I opened the door, and he'd only been to youth once or twice, but he was a very broken guy. He was about 15, and he said, can I come in? And I thought to myself, Lord, if it was anybody else, I would have to say no, but I can't do that to this boy. I cannot. I cannot, he's had so much rejection in his life. There is no way I can say no. I said, sure, come in. And I'm having to dig deep because there's nothing in me. And he sat down and he said to me, I think my girlfriend's pregnant. I said, and I don't know what to do. And my heart just broke for him. Anyway, I ministered to him a bit, Ken came home we ministered to him. Turned out his girlfriend was not pregnant, all was well. But I realized in that moment that by giving out to that young man who I was so broken for, my heart had changed. You see, out of that depth, suddenly, he became more important than me. Out of that place of brokenness, he was the focus. And I felt a joy. I learned a lesson that day. Reach out to others. Then some ways of reaching out to others is very simple, and this is also taken from the Life Model book, and I'm not gonna go into it, but it's really, really just very easy. One is smile. Actually, just smile. Smile at those who greet you. Greet them with a sincere voice. Ask people questions about how they are without interrupting. Just ask them and let them talk. 
Sometimes people just need to talk. They just need a listening ear. Take a sincere interest in knowing other people and what they, what, who they are. Treat people with dignity and respect. Use touch where appropriate. That actually does give joy to people. Now, obviously, we have to be careful and everything, but our kids, you know, give them a hug if you can, if you know them. Give them a hug, tap on the shoulder, anything like that. Just use it appropriately. It's actually very joy. It's important to build the joy center. It really is. Um, discover what brings the person joy, and then customize your attempts to bring them joy. So, you know, for instance, Ken and I have very different ways that brings us joy, you know. We've learned to customize that with one another. And we've actually learned to enjoy some of the things that each other, that wasn't part of my life or his life, and we've learned to bring that together. And sometimes it's just because I see the joy in Ken's face. Like, you know, when he's doing fantasy football, I know nothing about it, absolutely nothing. But you know, when he's saying, but he says, yes, and all the rest, it's so exciting that I get joyful just because I see him enjoy. I wouldn't have a clue what it's about. Okay, the next one is specifically to children, um, because, because of obviously, this is, it's a book about the Joy Center and developing it. And I just want to read you something with this. Cherish babies and children by establishing through words and actions that you're authentically glad to be with them. Okay, do you know this? In a child's first two years, the desire to experience joy in loving relationships is the most powerful force in life. In fact, some neurologists now say that the basis for human need is to see the sparkle in someone's eye. When you can catch a glimpse of a child's face as she runs toward an awaiting parent with arms outstretched in unrestrained joy, you can witness firsthand that incredible power that comes from being the sparkle in someone's eye. When this joy is the strongest force in a child's world, what makes sense? Because the children look forward to those moments when they can reconnect to joy. It actually is in the brain. They reconnect to the joy center by being with their beloved. Wonderfully enough, that innocent, pure desire that begins in childhood continues when people are in relationship with those who love them and are sincerely glad to be with them. Because joy is rational, okay, that's the end of the quote. Because joy is rational, it's also contagious. Joy is produced when someone is glad to see me, which stirs up the joy in me. Then my joy is returned and the giver's joy is increased. This experience, now this is a quote again, this experience goes back and forth at an amazingly fast rate, six cycles per second in a nonverbal face-to-face exchange, all the time growing the joy center stronger. Six per second. You know what we can do on a Sunday in church? We've got so many people to smile at. <laughs> we should all walk out here on cloud nine. Okay. Then I touched on this, I won't go over it, to speak words of life. Just Colossians 4 says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Speak testimony, as I touched on. Next one is unity. How good and how pleasant it is when the brothers live together in unity. Fight for this, it's a habit of joy. Unity is something that needs to be practiced. We don't automatically feel united. We don't know each other. 
It's easy to get united over a cause. Make that cause Jesus. You know, people get so united over a cause. I'm going to be anti this, anti that, this, and they stand up and everybody's united and they got their little things out and they're great. But be united in your cause for Jesus. Let Jesus be your cause. And we as come together as the body of Christ, united for the kingdom and for Jesus the King. As soon as you feel your heart is not in unity, deal with it. That happens, the enemy comes and your heart isn't with unity. Deal with it right away. Lord, why am I not feeling this peace? As Ken always says, when we have an argument, he, he, I'm quoting him, he always says, Jesus, God's never come to me and said, you're right. <laughs> he says, how's your heart? It's true, it's actually, even if circumstantially the person is right, the other person, or you're right and they're wrong, that's not the issue. Why is my heart not in unity? Deal with it. The last and the next point is trust in the Lord. As I said, the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall make your path straight. The joy of the Lord is something we choose to walk in and need to practice. Romans 15, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, make a choice to, jo to rejoice, to walk in joy. Rejoicing is to choose joy. Remember joy can override the discouragement, the disappointments and everything. Choose joy. So what I want to do, I just want to start, um, I've just asked Tracy to come up, and I, I do think Ken will add, but I want to do this, one thing. I want you to all just place your hand, you know? The um, Bible says living waters will flow from our belly. Place your hand there, and it is only in Christ we can walk in this joy. I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. Place your hand there. And if there's anything that you haven't dealt with or something like that, I'm not saying you're gonna get through everything now, but if there's anything that you need to give to the Lord, which Tommy already touched on, if anything comes up, just hand it to the Lord. And just focus on Jesus. Holy Spirit rise up within you. It is in the Holy Spirit that we find this joy. If your mind wanders, quietly start thanking Him for who He is and what He has done in your life. Keep your mind focused on Jesus and become aware of His presence. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Just the more we can um, become aware of His presence, 
then throughout the day, we begin to recognize his manifest presence, even as we drive in the car, we're working at home, washing dishes or whatever. We thank you for your presence, Lord. Because we thank you in your presence is everything we need for that time, for that moment. We thank you for the way you've created us. Even as Michelle said, in our brain, you put a joy center there. We thank you. Teach us. Teach us. Show us how. That your joy will become our strength. We thank you. We thank you.